Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. just tie up a few other things about repentance uh, which is a, a step in our salvation plan journey uh, talk about it just a few things maybe repentance and we're going to lean heavily then on being baptized in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ today amen and so we want to talk about that this morning how many still know that these are the essential steps for salvation that the Lord even played out for us in his own life Amen. Through his death and his burial and his resurrection. Amen. And so we're going to what for many may be a familiar passage, but if it's not, that's okay. Acts chapter number two and verse number 37. As you are turning there, I want to say how glad we're good to see Ray this morning with us. Glad to have Ray today. Amen. In the house of the Lord. And uh, also, again, I want to say it's good to see Brian Roberts. He was able to come back a few services ago and been Continuing coming, and that's after a long time of unable uh, health and back and pain, unable to be here. And uh, so, uh, probably even around two years, wasn't it, Brian? Somewhere around there, that he was kind of out of commission, unable to be at church. And uh, he's come back and been here, I mean, faithfully uh, since then. And so, we were glad to be able to see him and be back at church. So, it, the, the moral of the story is this hopefully, if that ever happens to you, We'll still be here when you're able to come back. We'll still be here when you're able to come back. Amen. And so uh, we are thankful that he's got some pain management and able to uh, be here today, the different ones. So mom and Anthony are here today. Glad to have them. We had a, uh, a guest musician this morning. Amen. We vetted her before service to make sure she met all the criteria and things and She's not even out here to hear me say all this, but uh, nonetheless, we're glad to have her today and him uh, here with us this weekend. Again, Acts chapter number 2, verse 37, the Bible says, Now when they heard this, this is the day of Pentecost, and the message that Peter has just preached. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, What shall we do? What shall we do? Come on, someone say, What shall we do? What shall we do? All right. And so the scripture says, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And so a couple weeks ago, we had our missionary last week, but a couple weeks ago, uh, we talked about repentance. Amen. Which is vital, vital to our baptism and our Holy Ghost experience. Amen. And so today we want to talk about baptism. And since last week and this week in prison, we've seen uh, 23 ladies be baptized in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Twelve, Twelve of them received the Holy Ghost for the first time ever to receive the Holy Ghost. And 20 some of that was renewed in the spirit. And so uh, it still is happening. It is still happening. It's for you and your children, those that are far off. Amen. As many as our Lord God shall call. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Just to talk just a little bit about repentance. Just touch it on a little bit as we lead into baptism here. I want to go back to 2 Peter 3 and verse number 9. 2 Peter 3 and verse number 9. Because we live 
in a world in a society today uh, that generations before us had talked to us and spoke to us and ministers have preached to us about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, about the promise of his coming. And uh, if we had allow ourselves to be uh, sucked in, if you will, uh, to the mindset of those around us, there is the scoffers that say that that's never going to happen, never going to take place because uh, it's been spoken about from generation to generation. And that's what this verse to a certain degree addresses, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish. We talked about last week that there is, there is really no gray area concerning repentance. Uh, there are mandates in Luke and other of the gospel that it's this. You repent or you perish. Those are the choices. Uh, there is no other alternative. You repent or perish. And the scripture says, but God is long-suffering to us. He's not willing that we should perish. And so if we've not repented yet, he's not willing that we should perish, but all should come to repentance. And so it is the Lord's desire and will really for as many as would to repent of their sins, uh, to repent of their sins, to confess their sins, to have a, as we said a couple of weeks ago, an afterthought or a second thought concerning the way that they have lived life. And so, again, people has been warning for years the idea of the coming of the Lord. But the Lord, he is keeping his promise about coming again, although he may have not come yet. Yet we know that his coming, the word for it is that it's imminent, which means it can happen at any time. It can happen at any moment or at any time. And Peter let them know that often what many delay, what many uh, interpret as God's delay of coming back is really the Lord being long-suffering. He is suffering long. He is being patient. What he is doing is allowing space of time for our repentance because he's not willing that any should perish. So as others perceive it as a delay, us of the church understand it that it's the Lord being patient. Amen. With the world patient toward us. He really desires that we would come to repentance. That we would come. That word come in the Greeks. That we would come to repentance. The word come in Greek means to make room for something. That we would make room for repentance or give it a place or receive it in our life. And so the desire of God is that everyone. Amen. Everyone, every, every, every nationality, every individual male and female would make room for and give place to repentance because it is, again, it is more than an afterthought. It is that mental change, that mental attitude that shifts, that feeling, yes, of remorse, all of that, but a change of mind that impacts our actions in our life. If you'll notice 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1 and verse 9, and I have a few verses of Scripture here today. I don't know if we'll get to them all this morning. The Bible says, For they themselves shew of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. It says, and how ye turned. Remember a couple weeks ago, Old Testament, a lot of times the, the wording of turning uh, relates to repentance. It's that about face. It's that uh, turning around. How ye turned. So we're talking about repentance here. How ye turned to God. Look, you turn to God, but from idols. They turn from something, but they turn towards something. I've said for years as a minister preaching and teaching on repentance, talking about turning, you can't turn from something without turning towards something else. It's an impossibility. 
whether it's a quarter turn or a half turn, you cannot turn away from one thing without turning towards something else. And so here in Scripture, he says you have turned to God, and in the instance that you have done that, you have turned from idols to serve the living and true God. This is how repentance was being played out as Paul was speaking to the church at Thessalonica. The Bible says in Matthew 3 and verse number 7 and 8, but when he saw many of those Pharisees and the Sadducees come to his baptism. This is John. John was baptizing in the Jordan River most times. There's other people that are coming and gathering around. Some wanting just to spectate, see what's going on. The Pharisees and the scribes have gathered to come to see the baptisms that are taking place. And John the Baptist said unto them, O generation, this seems very harsh, okay? O generation of vipers. He said, you bunch of snakes. He said, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He, his command to them, his, his admonition to them in verse 8, he says, bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. He said, bring forth. His verse number 8 admonition to these individuals, and of course, uh, John knew the type of people they were, and sometimes they had impure motives. Uh, but he said, bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. The words bring forth, is declaring to us that this is something that they needed to do urgently. There is something that they needed to do now. He said, bring forth, therefore, fruits. Fruits is what you produce that others see and categorize us by. Huh? Fruit is something you see and you categorize something by. Uh, you, you know, you, you see the orange on the, that must be an orange tree. Grapes, oh, those are the, a, a fig. Well, that must be a fig tree. You know, you know them as scripture says, you know them by their fruits and so it's what's produced that others see and they ca they categorize us by and you should know them by their fruits he says so bring forth bring forth something that's going to categorize you or that others can pick up on all right that's meat meat the word meat the idea is that of having equal weight or worth it's answerable to amendment of life. So you're going to bring forth fruit that's meat for repentance or that is equal in weight to repentance. That's going to show forth that there is a process of repentance, a changing of mind, all right, about things of life that's taking place in your life. And so John says, if you've come for baptism, then basically this is what he's saying to them because they're coming out to see the baptism. He said, if you've come for baptism, then you must have repented. You need to have fruits, some type of sign, some type of indication of this changing of mind in your, in your mind about, about life and about you have lived if you're coming to the baptismal pool of repentance. So if you've come for baptism, then you must have repent. Anybody that's been baptized in this church, no. A common question I'll ask you before we go back here or whenever we go back here in the back is ask you, have you sincerely repented of your sins before we baptize you today? If not, we will have prayer back there before we baptize someone in Jesus' name. And for years, I've told you, if, if, if repentance is, is paralleling the Lord's death, all right, and, 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 ba and baptism that parallels his burial, we, uh, Scripture, Christ, doesn't want to bury any living person. I'm not talking about in a physical sense. I, I hope every person, well, every person I've ever baptized has been alive in the physical sense. But uh, what I'm saying is this, we want you to be 
dead to your old way of life, right? Dead to, to sin, that it no longer would have an upper hand of dominion over you. And so we bury, we bury dead people. <laughs> that is dead in a spiritual sense, dead to their own way of life. And so uh, where there's evident product that where there is fruits meet for repentance, it, it, it's fruits that are, they bring worth to your repentance, if I may say it like that. It's a fruit that mirrors a life, again, that's turning from the old, turning toward the new. We see it all times in people's lives, uh, people that are uh, wanting a life change. Some, it's just them faithfully attending the house of God. They never used to do that before, and now they're doing it. It's, it can just be indicators of things like that. They're leaning in as the teaching and preaching that's taken place. They come to an altar for prayer whenever prayer is available. It's, it's things that's taken place. And here's the fact of the matter, though. This is something that weighs heavy upon our shoulders because no one can repent for you. Yes, many times it takes someone to help put you down in the watery grave of baptism. And yes, the infusion of the Spirit from on high fills with the Holy Ghost and you speak in other tongues. But no one can repent for you, right? And so God, by His Spirit, He gives us, He draws us to repentance. A word that comes that convicts us that we must turn or that we must repent. And then we must take that upon our shoulders, amen, to surrender ourselves, our old selves and our lives into the Lord, that active process of dying. And you see that in the picture of Christ, right? Because no one, we know through Scripture, no one could literally put Christ on the cross, right? They didn't take his life. He gave. He tells us that in so many words in Scripture, that he gave his life. That's us in our repentance. No one can make you repent. You got to give yourself, surrender yourself, offer yourself, amen, in that mode of repentance, all right? And so, and, and repentance, listen, repentance, yes, is a part of the plan of salvation, and it is an important part. Uh, sometimes the church, I'll say overall, uh, gets rushing through the aspect of repentance, they're just all about getting people in water and seeing people filled with the Holy Spirit. But we need to celebrate repentance just as much as we do baptism and someone being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. If in the story of Luke 15 of, of the, the lamb, the one lamb that went astray and the coin that was lost and the prodigal son that left, if in that story that whenever the lamb was found and the shepherd brings him back on his shoulders and said that there was joy in heaven over this and particularly says whenever one individual repents and then after the coin is found it says there's joy in heaven also after one repents and that whenever the son comes back home, right? We don't want to be the elder brother. Huh? We don't want to be the elder brother that don't want to celebrate, you know, the, the, the one that's coming back home. Because the father said, listen, listen, he talked to his elder brother. He said, listen, uh, it, it's meat, or if you will, he said, it is necessary that we should be make merry. Because your brother, he said, which was dead, meaning he was out into a world riotous living, doing his own thing. He said, he's come back home now, and we need to celebrate. Amen. Because now there's hope and he's 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 made a turn. Right. He's turned his back on that. Now he's turned his his face back toward the father's house. 
And so he was underscoring that it is very important for repentance. Today, this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about baptism, and we'll see how far I get into this. I'm already 15, 14 minutes in deep. Amen. Just kind of tying up some ends of repentance, but that's okay. I'm not in a rush. Amen. Whenever we look at baptism, and I want to try to answer some of the interrogatives, the who, what, when, where, why, how, you know, type of things today in our teaching. In Acts 2, and we looked at this a little couple of weeks ago, in Acts 2, the Apostle Peter had a mixed crowd, a mixed crowd of people that he spoke to on the day of Pentecost. There are people of different uh, languages and different nationalities, of course, that were present that had come for this great festival. As a matter of fact, a little sampling of the people that were there, uh, you can find in Scripture of Acts 2, it talks about how the Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia. And there's even more list of that that can be found uh, in, in verses 9 through 11 of Acts chapter number 2. So we have a mixed bag of people that are there on the day of Pentecost. And he told them, the Apostle Peter told them, this mixed bag of a variety of people, he told them, every one of them must be baptized. Every one of them. Furthermore, Jesus told the 11 disciples prior to his ascension, we can read it in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 28. We can read of it in the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. He told the 11 disciples prior to ascension that they were to go to Jerusalem and that they were to teach all nations, baptizing them, meaning all nations, baptizing them in the name. And while we see earlier in the book of Acts that the Jews were baptized, we understand that. We read later in like Acts chapter number 8 that the Samaritans, which was a mix of a Jew and a Gentile, that they were baptized in Acts chapter number 8. We also see in Acts chapter number 8 that Philip has a meeting with an Ethiopian eunuch, and the Bible says that Ethiopian eunuch, after a Bible study, says, hey, here's some water, what doth hinder me? to be baptized. The Ethiopian was baptized. We then see in Acts like chapter number 10 that Cornelius, the man who was of an Italian band, he was a Gentile, very devout man. The Bible says that after they received the Holy Ghost that they were commanded to be baptized and they were baptized. And so we see some different people groups, right? Jews, uh, Samaritans, Ethiopian, uh, Cornelius. And this is really a fulfillment even of Acts 1 and 8 about how it's to the uttermost parts of the world, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. And you see that circle ring that goes out, starting at Jerusalem and broadening to other people groups, amen, coming fulfillment through the book of Acts. So Acts 1 and 8 tells us about that Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And so we have Jews being baptized, receiving the Holy Ghost, Acts 8, Samaritans, Acts 10, Gentiles, all right, and it's going to the far reaches of the world. And so Peter tells us that we should, this is what he told him when they asked, what shall we do? He said, repent and, everybody say and, and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for, everybody say for, three letter word, but it's a big word. You know, some small words in our, in our, our, our English language are big words and for sure, even in the Greek for the remission, which is just a fancy word that means for removal for the removal of sins. The word for, I know you know this, but the word for is a preposition that means to or into a place, time, or purpose. 
Therefore, we repent and are baptized into the purpose or said differently. The purpose is revealed after the four. Why am I? Why do I repent and get baptized? Why? What's the purpose? What is this into? It's for the purpose, the remission or the removal of sins. And that's very important for us today looking at this biblically because there is a great portion of society today that baptism is just a sign or a symbol of joining a church membership. All right? There are a lot of teachings along those ways that it's a sign that the Lord has done something, you know, and I'm going to join the church or I, I, I subscribe to the beliefs of this assembly. But the Bible tells us right here the purpose of baptism right it's more than a a dry person going down and coming up wet that it's more it's more than that there is something that happens when we're baptized in the lovely name of the lord jesus christ there is a removal repentance with baptism that's important there is a removal a remission of our sins that takes place and what that tells me then is this. If that be the case, if this is for the removal or the remission of sins, then I understand then that all sinners, because sinners are they who sin, all right? Sinners are they who do the acts of sin or are born with the Adamic nature of sin, which we've all been born with, right? I, anybody here precede Adam? I didn't think so. If so, you carry a really good. I just say, but anyway, since Adam, after every individual was born into sin. And so since we're all born as sinners, guess what? We have sins that need to be remitted, that need to be removed. And so we all, everybody say all, every individual, every nationality, male and female across the board. We all have a need to repent and be baptized. And my Bible tells me in Romans three that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone needs baptized. Everyone. Everyone needs baptized. As a matter of fact, when we read in the Gospels that the man Jesus Christ, he came to John the Baptist, right? Who was baptizing in the river there. And uh, he came to be baptized of John. Now, please note that the baptism of John, Scripture tells us, was a baptism unto repentance. At this period of time in the Gospels, John the Baptist Jesus has not died yet. He's not been buried. He has not resurrected yet. This is all before Calvary. But John did a baptism unto repentance. All right. He, he, he's trying to get people to a mode of a place of repentance. And Jesus says, you're going to baptize me. And yet Jesus knew no sin. He was without sin. The other scriptures say he, he who knew no sin, but he did it not so much because he was a sinner. He did it because he was trying to leave us an example as the man Christ Jesus, a baptism unto repentance that mankind needed that. David said in the psalm, the psalmist, he said that I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. That was my entrance into this world. We are sinners and we need remission or removal of sins because that's the way all of us have entered into this world. And here's the fact of the matter. No sin, the book of Revelation tells us that no sin shall enter therein, speaking of heaven. And so you can't, you can't, harbor sin in your life and make heaven your home it's an impossibility scripturally revelation 21 and verse 27 says this and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth 
neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. And so granted now, as John the Baptist is, is baptizing in Beth Arba or in the Jordan River, many of his disciples uh, did some baptizing as well. But again, the baptism was unto repentance. They, the, the, these baptisms could be nothing more than this, again, because Christ had not yet went to the cross and died and been resurrected. Uh, we can't, we couldn't at that point in time be buried with him in baptism because he had not yet been buried in the ground. But John's baptism did have this. This is what it had. It had the people that come to be baptized into repentance admitting their sinfulness. That's what John's baptism had. It had people coming to the spot of claiming that they needed something else, something different, something more. And they would be baptized. The Bible says, you can read of it in the Gospels, they would be baptized confessing their sins. Or they would be baptized speaking those things. And we know that if we confess our sins, God is just and faithful to cleanse us from them all. And so John, again, being the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is setting the stage for what is to come. Because John, even in his day, was a preacher of repentance, right? That the kingdom of heaven was at hand and he preached repentance. Jesus shows up. He picks right up where John left off, speaking about repentance. But now, through Jesus Christ and through the work of Christ, not only can people be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, but they'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Amen. And so... Uh, John's baptism again just unto repentance not only that John baptized again and we read this in the book of John he baptized because Jesus coming to get baptized of John was to be a sign right because the dove came down and ascended upon Jesus you remember and the spirit of the Lord had already spoke to John and said whoever whoever you baptize that the dove comes down and ascends upon that will be the sign to all Israel amen of the one that will baptize them with the Holy Ghost. So it was a sign also, Jesus being baptized was a sign to all the people of the one that would be the baptizer of the Holy Ghost unto them, all right? And so not only that, everybody say not only that, it's like the ongoing thing. Not only that, through the baptism of John, we already get in the underscored importance of immersion taking place in baptism of someone totally being submerged in water, underwater, for their baptism. Because we read in John 3 that one place where John was baptizing, the Bible says in John 3, 23, that John baptized there because there was much water. Amen. And then in another place, Jesus, even in his own baptism that John baptized him, spoke that Jesus was described as coming up out of. That's, that's the verbiage, up out of the water. Amen. After John put him down in the water. And so, again, Christ Jesus, right, the one that we're supposed to grow up into the stature of, that we're patterning our lives after, is an example to us of the necessity, amen, of baptism. Because it is, according to the word of the Lord, a necessity to our submission and our salvation. And the mode was by immersion. Amen. We see that over and over again in Scripture. Matthew 3 and verse number 15. The Bible says, And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. In other words... Jesus was telling John, John's like, Jesus, I don't need to be baptizing you. You need to be baptizing me. Jesus says, just, just suffer it to be so for right now. 
For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. Jesus wasn't refuting the idea or the concept that John the Baptist needed baptized by him, meaning baptized by the Holy Ghost. He did need that. He was simply relaying to John the Baptist that for now, what's about ready to do, what you're about ready to do needs to be done. And in doing so, you're going to fulfill all righteousness. Other translations have it like this. John, do all that God requires. Or the right thing for us to do is to do everything a good man ought to do. The Old Testament phrase uh, that's used oftentimes in the Old Testament, the righteousness of God, is referred to as God's acts of righteousness. And God's acts of righteousness throughout the Old Testament were the means by which he brought about salvation for his people. In fact, righteousness, even through Old Testament scripture, became almost synonymous, if not synonymous, for salvation. Thus, when we see Jesus speaking to John here in Matthew 3, we could almost interject, really, salvation where righteousness is when he said unto John, it becometh us to fulfill all salvation because being baptized was a part of the means for the fulfillment of salvation. Mark 16, 16, the Bible says that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Many today, have it, again, have it backward. We've we got the, the cart before the horse. Again, people claim that you get baptized as a public sign that you have been saved. Scripture says that you get baptized so that you might be saved. All right? It's not the other way around. Baptism is a part of your salvation, not a sign or indication that it's already happened. It's a part of the process for it to happen. Amen. First Timothy two and four, the Bible says who the who there. If you read the other verses prior to verse four, it's speaking of God who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. God would have all men to be saved, but to fulfill all salvation or as Jesus told John, all righteousness, that means all those men, all those humanity needs to be baptized. Because he that, he that believeth not, evidently, and for that matter, not be baptized, cannot be saved. Although baptism isn't mentioned like blatantly as just baptism in the Old Testament, it is typified throughout the Old Testament, particularly in the Old Testament tabernacle. The Old Testament tabernacle of Moses, even the temple of Solomon, we see several of the furnishings and actions that was done in the tabernacle and the temple uh, that typified or shadowed things of the New Testament. Uh, whenever we look at the altar and the laver and, and uh, the golden candlestick and the, the, the golden altar, all these different furnishings, they typified things in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us that many of those Old Testament things were just a shadow of those things that were to come. They were just shadows of things that were to come. The Bible says in Hebrews 9 and verse 10, the first word which, again, if you read previous verses and look at the context of this verse, it is speaking about the tabernacle, which stood only, stood only in meats and drinks and divers, which means various, divers 
washings, plural, and, and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. And so the tabernacle is a wonderful illustration of the plan of salvation. For our purposes today of baptism, just want to concentrate just a little bit on the labor. You have the altar that an uh, individual would come to first in the outer court, and then they would come to the labor. Your altar, I don't want to, oh God, I just help me. I, I, I could really go off on tangents here, okay? That's what I'm getting at. The altar could really be your place of repentance. That's where the sacrifice is, is offered. The animal is tied to the horns of the altar. It's slain. The blood is shed. All of that typifies repentance of what we go through in our gut-wrenching turning around and second thought. Then you come to the laver, right, with a portion of the blood from the altar to the laver with the water, right, and there is the washing that would take place there. As a matter of fact, the, the priests in particular would wash before they would enter into the holy place to minister before the Lord. The high priest, uh, Aaron and them, that would go once a year into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the presence of God came down between the two cherubim, right? The presence of the Lord, which could typify your Holy Ghost experience. That there was, he had to wash before he ever got to that place, before he ever entered in there, and so on and so forth. And so we have all these divisions. And so this washing that took place, amen, at the labor was uh, typifying our New Testament baptism. It was a shadow for what would take place in the future. The Bible talks about the washing that takes place at the labor. The Bible says in Exodus 30 and verse number 18, this is the prescription. Thou shalt also make a labor of brass, which brass was typical of judgment it was a medal of judgment the bible even talks in scripture in other places how the heavens have become as brass uh, that's not a literal statement that's a statement meaning that as though the the heavens were coming to bear with judgment upon us and so it's a labor of brass because what at the water is where our sins are remitted and removed they're judged so to speak at the watery grave of baptism okay and his foot also of brass to wash with all and thou shalt put it between the tabernacle, speaking of the labor, thou shalt put it between the tabernacle, the congregation, and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. Again, the purpose of the labor is really summed up in those three words about ready in the middle of verse number 18 here, to wash with all. There was water in the labor to be used for cleansing. There was water in the labor to be used for washing. And there's been a lot of discussion uh, through time and scholars and people, perhaps maybe even smarter than me. I know there's people smarter than me, but nonetheless, uh, that have discussed, you know, that labor and the water that's in the labor that, you know, where in the world did the water come from that was in the labor? Yeah, good question. Some have read a lot of things and looked into a lot of things. We know from reading even the journey of the children of Israel through the wilderness, there were times they had water and there were a lot of times they didn't have water, Right. It cut down a tree. Moses was told to cut down a tree, throw it into a water to make the bitter water sweet. And then they went to one place and they had 12 wells of water. It's like, yay, but there's other times their parts and their tongues hanging out their mouth. But the Bible also tells us about the wandering of the children of Israel in the wilderness that at times they got water from a rock. Right? Moses supposed to speak to the rock. Sometimes he smoked the rock. Nonetheless, water came from the rock. And when we get in the New Testament scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 4, the Bible says that that rock, that it said that the rock followed them. I know. It said that rock followed them. And it said that rock was Christ. I don't know. This is just totally conjecture, Mom. But 
Could it be that maybe the water that was in the, the, bat, or the laver of the Old Testament, maybe it was supplied from the rock that followed? And the New Testament scripture says that rock was Christ. I don't know. Nonetheless, it cleansed. Huh? It was a cleansing agent, and it cleanses us from our sins today. People have waited sometimes. Uh, baptism is something that you need to act upon. All right? We have things portrayed through scripture that I know today, and I get this, that normally you just did it when it was you felt the conviction for doing it. You did it. It's portrayed. The, the only, again, the only qualification for baptism is repentance. It's the only qualification. In Acts 2.41, the Bible says that those that gladly received his word, speaking of Peter's word, when they received his word, they were baptized. The Bible says in Acts 8 and 12 that whenever Philip, whenever he preached concerning the things of the kingdom of God, to those at Samaria, they were baptized. When the light bulb went off, they understood it. They were baptized. Also in Acts 8, whenever he came to the Philippian eunuch again, and they had their Bible study, and he started where uh, the eunuch had started in Isaiah about uh, this lamb and in his humiliation. And the Bible says that Philip got up into the chariot with the eunuch, and he preached Jesus to him. And he's talking about all these things when it's all said and done. It's then the eunuch that realizes, right, here's water, what doth hinder me? He was baptized. In Acts chapter number 9, Saul, right? Saul, who was a persecutor of the church, he knows after he was blind for three days, and Ananias went to him and placed his hands on him and said, My brother Saul, even Jesus has sent me unto you that you might receive your sight, right? And all these things. No sooner had Saul got his sight back, and, and uh, Ananias had talked about the washing away of his sins, that then he arose and he was in that moment baptized. In Acts chapter number 10, Cornelius, I've said this already a little bit today, he and his household, as they sat there and they heard the word of the apostle being preached and they received the Holy Ghost, then the next words out of the apostle was this, he commanded them that they should be baptized. And it was. In Acts 16 and verse, does everybody understand what I'm saying? In Acts 16 and verse 33, the Philippian jailer, right, Paul and Silas been in bonds, the jailhouse rock happened, I'm not talking about Elvis either, jailhouse rock happened, the doors swung open, amen, everybody could be free and the Philippian jailer took him in that same night, midnight hour. Right? It's at midnight that they began to sing. At midnight hour, they went and he, he cleaned up their stripes and everything. This is the amazing thing about me of Acts chapter 6. He takes them to the water to cleanse their stripes of their, their beatings and such and then turns around and once baptized. The same water that took care of cleansing their wounds was used to take care of a deeper spiritual wound in the Philippian jailer and his household. In that same night, they were baptized amen and so we need to be proactive amen when we talk about baptism you don't get baptized you can get baptized in the baptistry you want to get baptized in a river a lake a pond a swimming pool a horse trough most of my family i think besides me was baptized in a horse trough a lot of them if not that a river i baptize a lot of people in a river the element is needed is water again the eunuch said see here is water what doth hinder me doesn't matter if it's running water. Doesn't matter if it's clean water. Doesn't matter if it's dirty water. Doesn't matter if it's cold water or hot water. You just need enough water so you can be buried, submerged, immersed in the water. And the name of Jesus invoked, evoked over you. Huh? Archaeologists have found all the way back church buildings of Asia Minor dating back to the middle of the third century. That included baptistries for baptism by immersion that could hold enough water to baptize and immerse somebody in water. All the way back to the 3rd century when church buildings and stuff started to be erected and stuff more normally that they found it even then. Amen.
and we all need baptized. Baptizo, I want to throw a few Greek words at you here today. Yep, going to dream in Greek tonight. Baptizo and bapto, two different words in the Greek, not to be confused. And the clearest example that I always use for people is this, to show the meaning of baptize. It's a text, not in scripture, but it's a text from an Ode Greek poet, a physician. Nicander was his name. He lived around 200 B.C. That's a long time ago, folks. That's before A.D. 200 B.C. And what they found is a recipe for making pickles. <laughs> I'm not calling you a pickle, but if you're offended, you are. No. <laughs> you are a pickle. No, I'm joking. It's a recipe for making pickles. And what's helpful is because it uses both these words, baptizo and babto, or babtu. Nick Anders says in this recipe that in order to make a pickle, <laughs> it's almost hilarious, I understand. In order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped, that's babto, into boiling water, and then baptized, that's baptizo, into the vinegar solution. Both verbs concern immersing the vegetable in a solution. But here's the difference in the Greek. The first is temporary. The second act of baptizing the vegetable produces a permanent change. All right? So that denoted in the book of Acts and the other places when it speaks of water baptism is not bapto. It's baptizo. It's a word that speaks of the immersion, but one that brings about a permanent change. You'll read of the other one in other places of Scripture, like uh, whenever uh, uh, the rich man asked Lazarus uh, to dip his finger in water to cool his tongue. That's bapto. Uh, whenever Jesus dipped the sop, dipped the bread in the sop to hand to Judas, that's bapto. Whenever uh, the Bible speaks in the book of Revelation that his vesture was dipped in blood, that's bapto. But whenever you talk about water baptism, it's baptizo that comes about to a permanent change. Acts 4 and 12. Someone could probably quote it. Acts 4 and 12, right? We had the hierarchy of the court system have Peter and John and this man that was lame but no longer lame among them they are being questioned by what name or by what power has this been done because it's a notable miracle they couldn't refute right they could matter of fact they had discussion among themselves what are we going to do with this whole scenario we can't refute what's happened this guy used to lay outside the door now he's leaping and jumping around all this we can't refute that what can we do and they want to know by what power or by what name. They're, they're making the association that the power is in the name. And so when they tell them that we've done this in the name of Jesus Christ, meaning the notable miracle, they go on and tell them, but ne neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must, everybody say must, must be saved. It happens by immersion but we need the name. Colossians 3.17 tells us, and whatsoever ye do in word or, in, or deed, do all in what? The name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him, right? 
Amen. And so what do we do in order to do? We, we pray in Jesus' name. We baptize in Jesus' name. You cast out devils. In Je- you better do that in Jesus' name. Amen. What are we doing? What do we do all in the name of Jesus? Because the power is connected to the name. Everybody say the name. You know that, right? You got power connected to your name, right? Huh? They want your name on documents. Right? Whatever's on your, whatever's on your birth certificate is what they want on your documents to have power to move money, to stake claim to uh, uh, an estate or, or Right? Amen. Says none of the other stuff works because it, it requires your name. And so the name is required over us in baptism. The power is there for the removal and the remission of sins. Amen. And so there are some even listed in Scripture, not to be anybody to get, you know, oh, but I've seen places that says be baptized in the name of the Lord. Well, what is the name of the Lord? Acts 9 and 5. Uh, Saul came to this reality on his road to Damascus, right? Been persecuting the church. Right, been giving them the what for, been taking men and women that was preaching the name Jesus to be incarcerated, some of them even killed, and he's knocked down off his high horse, and he talks and speaks into the heavens, and he said in verse Acts 9 and verse number 5, he said, Who art thou, Lord? Right? And the voice came back to him, the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou light bulb went off for Saul. He was taking all these people that was preaching the name of Jesus incarcerated. You guys heard me teach this before. It's okay. Teach it again. All these people, because he, he being raised at the feet of Gamaliel, he knew that there was only one God, right? He knew that. Hero Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord. The Deuteronomy six and four, all every Jew knew from birth to death that there was only one God. Yet when he saw people talking about this Jesus character, he thought, there was an imposter. He thought, we got somebody else trying to be God on our hand. And I know there's only one God. He was missing the fact that that Jesus they were preaching about was God that came from heaven and wrote himself in flesh. But whenever on his road to Damascus, when he said, who art thou, Lord? He thought he was just talking to that one God and that one God revealed to me, I am Jesus. These ones that they're preaching about and teaching about, that's me in human flesh. I'm walking among you, Saul. The light bulb then went off for him. Amen. So when there's speaks scripture, they're baptized in the name of the Lord. They're bab- yeah, you see it. That's Jesus. Sometimes it says they're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes it says they're baptized in Christ. Sometimes it says they're baptized in Jesus Christ. Amen. You've got to be baptized, amen, in his name. Someone say amen. Number six in verse 22. Okay, I hear you, clock. I started mine 15 minutes late. Number six. And I'll, number six. Verse 22 through, let's read down through 27. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. This is many times a doxology that uh, religiosity uses. The Lord bless thee and keep thee and may his face. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put... This is what the Lord tells Moses. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel. And I will bless them. Now, when the word Lord 
and this happens in many people's Bibles. You go to the Old Testament, you don't see big L, little O, little R, little D, Lord, in your Old Testament. Most times you see the word Lord in the Old Testament. Many times it is in all capital letters, Lord. And when it does that, the, the English translators used Lord in that sense whenever in the, the Hebrew text that the covenant name of God was being used for his people, Jehovah, Yahweh. Whenever the covenant name of God was being used for his people, they would put capital L-O-R-D in the Old Testament text. So in the Old Testament times, the name of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, was evoked or called over these people, he said. And when that placed upon my people, and for that matter, and I'm about ready, oh, God help me, Jesus. Um, <laughs> where do you stop? Did someone say now? Okay, I got your number. <laughs> the name of the Lord was placed over people, places, and things. Placed over the tabernacle, over things, over cities. His name was placed upon them. Over people, it was placed upon them. For instance, in Genesis 4, 26, I'll just hold you just a little while longer, just a little while longer. I only have one service today. Genesis 4, 26. And someone says, and I plan on keeping it that way if you'll work with us here. In Genesis 4, 26, the Bible says, and to Seth, and to him also was born a son, and he called his name Enos, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Listen, the literal translation of that, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. The literal translation of that, of that is, the name of the Lord was called upon them. It was called upon the people. It was called upon them. And that's the case in the Old Testament, upon people, places, and things. And what that denotes, and I'll, I guess I'll just leave you hanging, you know, like, we come to to be continued type thing it's a cliffhanger you're just there when he places his name on people places and things when that happens the old testament this is typically what is denoted through the old testament when the name is placed upon people places and things it denotes number one ownership we'll look at this scripturally as in weeks to come it denotes redemption and it denotes his presence when his name is put upon people places and things ownership redemption and his presence i want to be baptized in water submerged but i need his name and when it is placed upon me ownership redemption and his presence and we'll meander through that i guess more next week stand with me None of these lessons I've planned for are getting done in one setting. But that's okay. I'm not in a rush. Amen. This morning, let me tell you something. We got warm water back here in the baptistry. We do. We got warm water. We're supposed to have baptism today, but it's not happening. But we have water back here, and it is warm. It, it, when I first got here this morning, it was lobster warm. <laughs> so it is warm. If through just the teaching today and a couple weeks ago, you feel a, a compelling, Brother Mason, if you can come, if you feel a compelling, that you know what, I think I need to be baptized in Jesus' name. The water is ready. There's no real reason for us to go home today uh, for you not to be baptized. What a greater day to celebrate your holiday weekend than to go down in the name that's above every name and sin and past things can be remitted 
removed from your life. It can happen. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait. Even if the water was cold, we wouldn't have to wait. It, it is, it's, the, it's the Ethiopian eunuch. What doth hinder thee? What doth hinder thee? And if it's just repentance, we can do that. We can, we can walk that road. Amen. But that is here today. Can we just bow our heads all across this place this morning? Father, I love you today. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.